0: a song that's sung when we when we sing words but there's also a song that's sung and and it's something that the lord does and ministers through the playing of the instruments and there are times when the words don't reach you but the melody goes deep so don't neglect what god is doing through instrumental worship don't miss how the spirit comes through this. It, it, was, it was when David played that Saul in this spirit that arrested him was, was put at peace. Don't forget the Psalmist anointing that comes through instrumental music. It's very powerful, very powerful. And I thank God for, for the instrumentalists. And let's just, uh, let's just thank the Lord for it. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Now, let me push a little bit further on that. I think that's also true for dance. Not that I'm called to do that, but you just want to see me in my linen ephod, don't you? No, that's just... (laughs) But, uh, uh, all right, I got to tell you a story. <laughs> so years ago, this I was reminded of this yesterday, when, when John asked about how do you transition a church to a different style of worship, um, one of the best ways to do it is uh, let people experience it somewhere. And so I took about 50 of my people from my little church in Stratford, Connecticut, um, man, this was in the 80s, to a... Uh, A vineyard worship conference, and I mean, it just ignited them. And uh, um, on the final night of the conference, they went into this celebration, and um, and everybody started dancing, and the banners came out, and so I'm kind of standing there, and I'm thinking, maybe I'll dance a little bit. So I left the pew or the row, and I started to join them in the dance. And afterwards, um, one of the ladies in the church came up to me, and she said pastor when you were dancing it reminded me of an old testament passage yeah and immediately i'm thinking oh great this woman's picturing me in my linen ephod you know Um, but i asked anyhow i said what passage and she says i think it's in malachi chapter four where it says you shall leap like young calves released from the stall and i said so i remind you of a cow she goes, "A, a young cow So if you hear a little moo, get out of the aisle, because here I come. (laughs) Utter delight. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't very wholesome. Oh, sorry, oh geez, grade A, okay. Hey, we're all tired, right? Oh man, Pastor Jim has lost control. Um, All right, I am actually switching directions a little bit here, and I want to talk about forgiveness, uh, because I do believe forgiveness is tied to healing. Uh, I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had in the last 24 hours with people here on forgiveness issues, and so we have kind of followed a progression. There's grieving. I I think before we talk about um, forgiveness, we we have to talk about grieving, and I'll explain why there's a connection there in, in just a minute. And then I think even before we talk about, uh, you know, forgiveness, we also ta- have to talk about emotional healing, because sometimes we're not even in a place to forgive until we've received some healing. Uh, but I think the next step is there, there are some people in your life that uh, you need to forgive. And, um, and, and, and my thought is that some of you don't even realize that you have people that you need to forgive. And I dare say that most of us, if not all of us in the room, have some people we need to forgive and it just hasn't occurred to us. So here's how we're going to start. We're going to do a little diagnostic test to see if you might have an issue with some unforgiveness. Now, now let me be very honest with you. I've done this teaching a number of times and every time I do it, I get convicted of a relationship where I need to forgive somebody. And, and so as we go through this, know that you know, you're not alone. This isn't me having arrived teaching you. Uh, this is me going, oh, I hate doing this because I have to forgive somebody almost every time I do it. Why? Because people keep wounding me. And I keep wounding them and they have to forgive me. So I really need to teach unforgiveness, especially if you're going to be my friend. Right, Kelvin? Yeah. Amen. All right, so here's the diagnostic test. What do the symptoms of unforgiveness look like? Because if if we ask, do you have any unforgiveness, most of us go, no, no, we don't. But let's look at some symptoms. Is there a person in your life to whom you tend to do the following? Number one, continually rehearse the wounding scenarios connected to this person. Um, So is there a person that when their name comes up in conversation, you feel the need to rehearse what they did to you, and what it looked like, and, uh, and you find yourself telling that story on a regular basis. Let me give you an example. Um, my father-in-law, uh, who I deeply love, he passed away just two weeks ago, and, um, and a, a glorious home going, but when I first married into the family, he became like a second father to me, and I loved going to visit him. But about a year into our marriage, they went through a church split in their church up in Holton, Maine. And there was some really devastating stuff that happened to him. And they ended up leaving the church. And uh, for the most part, I don't think it was his fault. I think he was the wounded party. I don't think he was an instigator. Of course, I only knew one side of it. But every time I went up there to visit, he would say, have I told you what happened in that church? And he would rehearse the scenario as to what was said against him, what was done, what happened. And this went on, you know, we, tr- we tried to get up there like once every two months or so. And this went on for over a year. And finally, I said to him one day, I said, Larry, I, I love you and I love coming up here. But this thing that happened a year and a half ago is ruining my visits. He goes, well, how's it affecting you? I said, every time I come up, you tell me the story again of what happened to you. Please forgive them. And he looked at me and he goes, they never asked for forgiveness. I said, you know what? You're the one that is being victimized by it. You need to forgive them, not for their sake, but for yours and my sake. And he looked at me and he goes, "Uh, how you doing, buddy? What's up, man? You got good moves. You've beaten, Yeah. yeah, you beat mom. Sign that kid up for the Ravens. They could use a running back. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Anyhow, uh, where was I? Ah, my father-in-law. So, so he, he, would, he, would, he would just go through this and said, Larry, you are owned by this. You need to let it go. Here, he is, break away again. This is awesome. This is entertaining. Um, and, uh, and I said, you got to let it go. He says, but they've never asked for forgiveness. I said, Jesus forgave us before we asked. And, and the truth is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave even the people that were, uh, you know, nailing him to the cross. And, uh, and, and thankfully, he finally got it. Uh, but are there situations where you continually rehearse what has happened to you? Uh, it may be that forgiveness is necessary. Two, is there a person in your life to whom you avoid or treat with indifference? You may not talk about them. You may not rec- recount the story. But when you see them coming towards you in church, you move the other way. Okay. And if you can't move the other way, you give them nothing of your emotion. Hi. How you doing? Good. Have a good day. You, know, you give them small talk, superficial. You share nothing of your life with them. And, and some of you are going, yeah, but you don't know what they've done to me. No, I don't. But I know that you're owned by them. Okay. See what I mean? Every time I teach this, I'm going, oh no, I got another person I need to deal with. Okay. Third issue. Is there a person whom you tend to talk to others about in a negative light? Like when their name comes up in a conversation, you feel the need to let them know this person has some issues. And, uh, and you might say, yes, but they do have issues. Yes, but you're not God and it's not your responsibility to inform the world of them and of their issues, and, and it's really a sign that there's some unresolved issues in your heart toward them. Number four, is there a person to whom you tend to carry a secret wish that they would somehow fail or feel pain? Now, here's, here's where we're getting a little sadomasochistic here. Um, you, you pull out your voodoo doll and shove pins in it, okay? no, It's not like that, but it is like this. Um, that person that hurt you, and that wounded you, it, it wouldn't ruin your day if something bad happened to them. And, and even Christians say things like, what goes around comes around. Or, or they'll be really you know, biblical and say, hey, karma. <laughs> you know? Karma's not biblical. And yet we embrace it when we have an issue. I, I, I'll be honest. I had a, a church in Reading, an alliance church, that hated us when we went out to plant our church. And the pastor wrote a seven-page paper against Terry Wardle and myself, claiming that we were heretics and had no business being pastors of a Christian Missionary Alliance church. And he spread it among the whole community. I mean, we were attacked. You expect to be attacked by the enemy, right? But this is a pastor from your own denomination. And, and one day, Wanda and I were at Simpson University and we were walking down the sidelines of a soccer game and I saw, we saw this woman who was seated in a chair, and I knew who she was, but Wanda didn't. And Wanda said, who is that woman? And I said, why? And she said, we need to go back and pray for her. I said, why? He said, She said, because when I walked by, the Lord told me there's a spirit of adultery on her, and we need to help her. And I said, oh, no, we're not going back there. She said, why? I said, because that's the wife of the pastor that wrote the paper against us. And, and one of the things that he, he nailed us for was our prophetic ministry. And now she wants to go have a prophetic word to his wife that she has a spirit of adultery. No, no, we are not going back there. And, and I wouldn't let her. And, uh, and sure enough, about a month later, it came out that this woman had committed adultery. And when we got the word, um, I have to confess, I took delight. And I was like, hmm, what goes around comes around. Uh, touch the Lord's anointing, see what happens to you. I mean, just horrible, terrible stuff. And, and so I get a call on the afternoon that it came out, and it was Terry Wardle, my senior pastor, the guy that I was working with. He said, Ron, you need to get over to the office right now. We need to pray. And I said, okay. So I came over, and he was on his knees with tears streaming down his face. And I looked at him, and I go, what are you so sad about? And he looked at me, and he knew that my heart was taking delight in my brother's downfall. And he grabbed me by the shirt, and he dragged me to my knees. Closest he ever came to physical violence with me. And he said, you repent. Don't you dare take delight in your brother's downfall. And a spirit of conviction came over me, and I repented. Now, here's the end of that story. Their marriage was restored. Their son came on staff with us as our youth pastor. Years later, we launched their son in a church plant from our church. Uh, There was complete healing between this man and us. He now believes in the prophetic ministry. Uh, He's actually, you know, a a good friend. I actually wrote uh, something on a book that he put out. I I wrote an endorsement. and, And God completely healed that relationship. But it would have never been healed had I held on to that unforgiveness. Okay? And so... Symptom number five, is there a person to whom we tend to treat in a passive-aggressive way? Passive-aggressive means you don't really talk about the issue where you haven't forgiven them, but every chance you get to express anger, you let them have it, okay? And, uh, and so uh, passive-aggressive is often a symptom of unforgiveness. And then finally, is there a person to whom you tend to become easily offended by? You know, they don't have to do much. All they have to do is say the wrong thing in the wrong way, and man, it just rises up again in you. Now, I don't think there's too many of us that can go through this list and go, yeah, there's really nobody in my life. I mean, uh, the truth is we probably all have some people that have hurt us, that have wounded us, and, and some of us have some really good reasons to have some issues there, but listen, Unforgiveness and bitterness is the poison we eat, hoping it will hurt somebody else. There is nothing in Scripture that says you can carry an offense and unforgiveness and bitterness and everything will be just fine. It's just the opposite. It affects you and it robs you. Okay? So, we've got to jump into this. So, why should we practice it? And, and this is simple. Number one, unforgiveness affects your relationship with God. First and foremost, when you hold unforgiveness against somebody else, it affects your image of God. What Jim said this morning, which I found out later was a quote from Tozer, what you think about God when he comes to your mind is the most important thing about you. If you hold unforgiveness, your thinking about God will be distorted. It cannot help but be distorted. Matthew says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we could argue theologically about what does this mean? Does this mean our forgiveness from God is connected to our forgiveness with others? That's not the point. Here's the point Jesus is making. If you don't give forgiveness, you're not going to be able to receive forgiveness. There's a connection between the forgiveness of the Lord and the forgiveness that you flow into others. And and so don't try to argue the theological nuances. Just say, okay, I get the point. God wants me to forgive the way I've been forgiven. He wants me to forgive others, okay? Um, Second, unforgiveness destroys your relationship with other people. Not just the person that you're holding the unforgiveness against. When you hang on to unforgiveness, everyone around you gets affected. Uh, And you know the scriptures on this. Psalm 73, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. In other words, he's holding on to offenses. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, your personality is affected by unforgiveness. And, And even when you are not in the presence of the person with whom you have this offense, it is eating away at you, eating away at your personality. And the psalmist says it makes you a brute beast. You become ignorant and senseless. It's, it's not a happy thing and not the kind of person you want to be around. And then Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The same interpretation there as uh, the Matthew 5 passage. This is not an eschatological end times interpretation. Uh, in other words, without holiness, you won't die and go see God. I think it's without living in holiness you will not perceive the presence of God in the here and now. So it's not just, you know, when you die and go to heaven. And so he goes on and he says, so see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And when unforgiveness takes root in a church, you've seen it. It starts with one family toward another. And then somebody else picks up the offense of this family and somebody else picks up the offense of this family and it devastates a congregation. And and some of us have lived through that kind of a thing. It's incredibly painful. And then finally, number three, unforgiveness also gives the devil a foothold. You know, listen, I'm speaking to a group of people. I I believe you understand, you believe the reality of spiritual warfare, so hear me. Um, You give Satan leverage in your life when you hold on to unforgiveness. He has something on you. I love that passage where it says, where Jesus says, here comes the prince of darkness and he has nothing on me. Remember that passage? And, I, and we always say, oh yeah, wouldn't it be great to be God incarnate? No, I think that is a statement that you and I can make when we live clean before our God. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're living in the light. We brought it into the light and, and forgiveness issues. Here comes the enemy and he has no leverage on me. He has no foothold. He has no topos, is the Ephesians passage. And, And here's the scriptural evidence for that. I love this in 2 Corinthians 2. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And here's why. In the context of forgiveness, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. So what Paul is telling us is one of the primary schemes of the enemy is unforgiveness. And one of the ways he will outwit you is if you decide in your heart, I'm not going to forgive that person. They don't deserve it. The minute you do that, you have been duped by the enemy. And I don't care how long you've gone to church and how spiritually mature you are in other areas. If you do that, you have given the enemy leverage in your life. And you have been outwitted. And then Ephesians that I've been referring to, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, I don't think that's a literal 24-hour thing. I, I think that what it means is keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Make sure that you're not letting time pass before you deal with the situation. So don't call your pastor at 10:30, you know, on a Saturday night to try to get right. Wait, wait till midnight when he's up praying. All right. All right. Now, how do we do it? How do we practice it? I want to give you a chart uh, that was developed by um, my associate pastor in in Redding, California. Uh, He's actually, was the senior pastor, and now he's uh, doing itinerant ministry. But his name is Bill Randall. He developed this chart, and I have stolen it, and I've used it for years, and it's really helped me, and and many people have found it helpful. Um, And on this chart, and you can use it for yourself, or you can use it to help others, Okay, My recommendation is that you use it for yourself first before you start helping others with it. But um, on the chart, you'll notice on the left side, you have the offender. And you have to start with the offender, with what happened to you. And, and I call that clarifying the offense. And underneath clarifying the offense is grieving what happened to you. Grieving it. Being honest about it getting it out into the light. Everything we talked about last night, that's what comes under clarify the offense. Now, I believe that is necessary because I think some of us jump to forgiveness way too quickly. Now, now that sounds weird, but I think it's possible to speak the language of forgiveness before your heart is ready. And, and, and that means that you, ha- you have to process, you have to clarify, and you have to get what's on the inside out to the surface and do some grieving before you can move to forgiveness. And we're going to get to forgiveness. But it, it's like this. If I, if I say something hurtful in the midst of a talk, um, if I say something hurtful about Jim, which I think I probably already have, but, uh, and, and I'm mean to him in front of you, Uh, And then all of a sudden, I realize i have been mean. And I go, hey, Jim, you got to forgive me, right? You're a Christian, aren't you? You got to forgive me, okay? Now, listen, it wouldn't be unreasonable for Jim to say, yeah, Ron, I'm a Christian. And and yeah, Ron, I'll forgive you. But I need to sit down and talk with you about why you said that. I mean, because that hurts. And we need to process what was going on that would cause you to say that. And so, yeah, I'm on the road to forgiving you but I I still need to talk through what what happened. Do you understand how healthy that is? And and do you understand that if we say, I forgive you, or I honor my father and mother before we've really dealt with the wounds that they inflicted on us, that it's just religious verbiage. And you know how people always ask, well, how do I have the feelings of forgiveness? You know, I've forgiven them, but it keeps coming up. My argument is that often you don't have the feelings of forgiveness because you haven't adequately grieved and clarified the offense and processed the pain of it. And so the first step is you've got to clarify the offense, and that means grieving it. Then you've got to move to your side. Now, i got bad news for you. The rest is all on your side because you have no control over the other person. Only you have control over you. And, uh, and you have to identify your sinful reactions to what they did to you. What? Where's that in the Bible? Okay, let me tell you. Take the log out of your own eye before you pick the splinter out of theirs. Remember that? Matthew 18. And so that means you need to begin to say, Lord, have I slandered? Have I gossiped? Have I maligned them? Have I attacked them? Have I done everything I could to make them look bad? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my sinful reactions. Some of you are going, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. I had every right to fight back. Uh, Listen, when you came to Christ, you gave up your rights. You died to who you used to be. And now your life is consumed in the victory of Jesus and the healing of Jesus. And forgiveness is what he brings you to. And so uh, I got to identify my own sinful reactions. Then third, I need to confess to God all my sinful reactions. So it's not just enough to identify them. When you confess, you are saying, God, I agree that what I did was sin. And I know they hurt me, and I may need to go back and grieve it some more because it was really bad, it was really deep, but that is no excuse for me to move in sin. And I gossiped, I slandered, and I agree with you that it is sin. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not going to try to make it look better than it is. I sin. I sin against you, God, as well as them, and and I, I need to confess it to you now. Let me add this disclaimer. Some of you now are going. Do I need to go to the person and tell them that? Maybe, maybe not. And the reason I say that is sometimes if you were to go to the person. Uh, Number one, they may not be aware of your sin against them. And so don't confess your sin to them to stab them again with your sin. Do you understand that? That's like, I always hated to preach this when I was a pastor of a church because I would have a line of people waiting to see me. Pastor, I need to talk to you. I've hated you for 10 years. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. How's that make you feel? A lot better. Thank you. (laughs) So so the, the first, you know, caveat, the disclaimer is do not tell them if they're not aware of it because it's just you getting revenge, okay? So that's the first disclaimer. Second disclaimer is do not tell them if they will attack you as a result again. In other words, if it's not safe. You know, listen, some people have abused you, attacked you viciously, You can still forgive them, but hear me, forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation, okay? Because it's not always safe to reconcile, do you understand? And so you can walk in forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you have to put yourself back in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation. But you do need to deal with your stuff before God, and so you confess to God. Third, fourth, you forgive every offense, Uh, Now, when you've grieved it, you've clarified what they did to you, you've processed it, you brought it into the light, you've identified your own sinful reactions, you've owned your own stuff, confessed it to God. Now you move to forgiveness. Uh, Mary, I forgive you for how you, you gossiped against me. I forgive you for stealing my husband. I forgive you for whatever you did. Mom, I choose this day to no longer live in reaction to that which you have said and or done against me. In other words, you're, you're not going to own me anymore. I lay this down. I forgive. I've dealt with my own stuff. I've confessed my sinful reactions. But now I choose to no longer live. And here's one. I heard a woman pray th- this uh, years ago. We were praying for her back. She was scheduled to have back surgery. And, um, and, and we started to pray for her. And I got the word forgiveness. kept coming to me. And I, I didn't. And now, when you get a word for somebody, you have to be careful how you deliver it. Like, you don't want to say, all right, lady, there's unforgiveness in your life. You know, be a little more tactful. And so I said, uh, you know, I don't know what this is. I know you're in a lot of pain. I know you're scheduled for surgery on your back. But the word unforgiveness keeps coming to me. Does that mean anything to you? And again, I'm not trying to put anything on you. And she started to cry. She said, yeah, it's my ex-husband. She said, what he did to me seven years ago when we were going through our divorce, I have never forgiven him for what he did. And I said, well, talk to me. Um, you know, what'd he do? Talk about it. Get it out. And she started. And I said, oh, by the way, when did your back pain start? She said, in the middle of the divorce. I said, okay. And for the next 25, 30 minutes, we let her get what was on the inside out. And then I asked her, you know, what he did to you is bad, but what have you done to him? Aho. Oh. and then she began to identify her own sinful reactions and confess those to God and then she prayed this prayer. After about a half an hour, she said, Mike, I release you from the prison of my unforgiveness. And she added this, it's not on her." She said, and, and I release myself from the prison of my unforgiveness. And in Jesus' name, I release you. You will control me no longer, it's over. And uh, so it was really a cool prayer time. And I said, okay, let's pray for your back again. And she said, you don't need to. When I prayed that prayer of forgiveness, my back stopped hurting instantly. Now, we had her go to the doctor. Her discs were normal size. They were not inflamed anymore. She didn't have to have surgery. Uh, God healed her instantly, and it was connected with the forgiveness issue. I'm sorry? can we wait. Are you ready now? <laughs> yeah, Rob. Just to clarify, step four? Yeah. Always go to the person? No, what I'm, I'm saying, you don't always go to the person. I, listen, I think it's great when reconciliation is possible. So, uh, you know, I want to say I can't tell you when it's possible and when it's not possible. I would be guilty of malpractice if I tried to give you a pat answer. Because you have to determine with some wise counsel whether this person needs to, to be confronted or if it's something that's so secret, maybe they don't even know about, you can just deal with it before God. Or is this a person that you're going to be wounded by all over again? Okay? And so you, you kind of have to wrestle with that. But you don't need to go to them in order to exercise forgiveness. Okay. Let, me, let me finish and then I'll take some questions, okay? The, third, the fifth step is, is very important. Then you live in a place of blessing towards that person. Okay, now I think, um, you know how people talk about, I, I want to have the feelings of forgiveness. I think the feelings of forgiveness are connected to doing the first step well and doing the final step well. I think they're connected. And so that means you begin to move to a place of praying blessing upon that person. Lord, I bless them. I ask that you would pour out your grace to them. Pour out your mercy and pray it even when you don't feel it, pray it. So i mentioned a few times my friend Terry Wardle. Um, who's now, you know, he was a pastor, we planted a church together. He was actually the former dean at Alliance Theological Seminary. He's now uh, teaching at Ashland Theological Seminary, a dear friend, amazing mentor. And um, when he was the dean at Alliance, he wrote a book on worship called Exalt Him. And if you were to read that book, you would love it. I mean, there's nothing real crazy in it. Uh, It's everything that's in that book we have done this weekend. And I don't think anybody's been offended by our worship at all. But when he wrote that book back in the 80s, the Christian and Missionary Alliance hated that book. Not all of us, not all the CMA, but the leaders. And the board of directors came after Terry because he was the dean of the seminary and he was endorsing people lifting their hands in worship. He was endorsing the gifts of the spirit in worship. He was endorsing this stuff. And so... Basically, he was driven out of that position and he and I ended up going to California to plant a church largely because of pressure from our denomination against him. And uh, there was one man on the board of directors that wrote a letter to Terry. And I saw the letter because I was Terry's teaching assistant at the seminary when this was all going down. And, um, And the letter said this, dear Dr. Wardle. There might be something good about you, but you are like a piece of apple pie laying at the bottom of a dumpster covered with flies and garbage. There might be something of benefit to you, but who wants to wade through the garbage to get to it? Now, that is almost a verbatim quote of what this man of God wrote to Terry. Just devastated him, okay? So now, fast forward about three or four years, Terry and I are out in California. Our church is going well. And one day after church, we were leaving, and somebody bumped into him, or maybe I bumped into him, and he dropped his Bible. And when he dropped his Bible, a bunch of papers fell out. And I got down to help him pick them up. And one of the papers that fell out of his Bible was a letter to this man. And it was a letter of blessing. And I picked it up, and I'm reading it, and it said, Dear Dr. So-and-so, um, I pray blessings upon you and your family this day. I pray that God's grace would be, and it was this letter of blessing, and I'm, I'm reading it, and all of a sudden Terry noticed I was reading his letter, and he snatched it out of my hand. He goes, what are you, what are you reading my letter for? I go, because I'm nosy. <laughs> he said, that's private. I go, not anymore. <laughs> I've told it to thousands of people now. <laughs> he knows I tell this story. And... Uh, I said, are you gonna send that letter to him? He goes, oh no, no. No, I could never send it to him because I know it would open me up to further wounding. And I said, well, what are you gonna do with it? He said, well, since you were nosy, I'll tell you. He said, that is probably one of 40 letters I've written like that over the last three years. Because every time the anger comes up about what he did, I grieve it, I own my own stuff, I forgive, and then I write a letter of blessing. And he said, obviously I'm not through it yet because I had to write another one, but I will continue to write letters of blessing until I'm free, okay? So, listen, I understand some of what has happened to you is deep and it's hurtful, and that first step... You need to take it seriously. Don't forgive too quickly. But then when you move through it, move to a place of blessing and where the enemy wants to sow seeds of cursing, you renounce that in Jesus' name. You are not a person of cursing. You're a person of blessing and begin to announce and declare and write the blessing of God. That doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation, but it does mean that you have to forgive and you have to let it go. Now I've one more story, but I wanna uh, take questions. I did see a hand or two. Yeah. The sim wasn't it says identifying some code reactions. The sim was going to someone post connection. Right. Yeah, right. If, if, if someone sinned against someone close to you, it is still possible for you to pick up their offense and carry unforgiveness toward that person. And you still have to walk through this process. Yeah. Who's he? Yeah. Yeah, listen. Listen, this is a very individualized process. You can do it so that you can get free, but you cannot do it for your son. Oh, yeah. 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 Sounds like you're taking too much on yourself. Yeah. Again, I can't, I don't have time to answer every situation. Every situation's different, but you have to decide, um, how long do you keep yourself in that abusive situation? And when is it time for you to say enough? Okay. Let me tell you one last story and then we'll pray. Um, Some of you may have heard the name James Ryle. Uh, James was a pastor at the Boulder, Colorado vineyard, uh, where Bill McCartney, the coach of the University of Colorado Buffaloes football team, went. Uh, and it was out of that church that a little movement called Promise Keepers was birthed. Okay, and uh, James was one of the founding board members, and. He's an incredible man of God. Um, I've come to know him pretty well over the years. I've golfed with him in California and we've had him at Nyack to speak to our students. Um, And uh, he he told me a story once, and I think it's in one of his books, uh, about his first church that he was in. He was an assistant pastor. And in this church, the senior pastor was harsh and vindictive and he ruled that church with an iron fist, and he was um, very dictatorial. And, but James was just a new pastor, and he was doing his best to find his way into ministry. And, and, um, and so he put up with this, as did everybody in the congregation, for about two years. And after two years, uh, he couldn't take it anymore, and he left as well as he could possibly have left. He resigned, they found another ministry, they moved to another town quite a ways away. And, uh, and they had been at that new church for just a few weeks when it came out that this pastor had been in multiple affairs with women in the church. And it all started to come out, and when James heard about it, he was with his wife, and he was furious. And he said, I knew it. I knew there was sin behind that anger. I knew it wasn't just control. I knew this was going on, you know, and he was just kind of going off. And all of a sudden, he noticed his wife was weeping. And he looked at her and he said, what? And she said, James, I never told you because I feared what would happen to your job. But for the two years we were there, almost every week he tried to proposition me. He tried to have an affair with me. And James, I never gave in, but I never told you because I knew that he would take it out on you. And James was livid. He went to his gun cabinet, and he got his .30-06 deer rifle. And he drove to that town with every intention of killing the guy. Literally, he said he had it figured out how he was gonna shoot him from 300 yards away when he came out of that church. And, uh, but he decided before he did that he should pray about it first.
2: <laughs>
1: it's a true story.
2: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: he, he drives to the top of this mountain And he says, uh, he has a conversation with God. And he says, God, is there ever a time when it's okay not to forgive someone? And to his surprise, he heard the Spirit of the Lord whisper, yes, there is a time when it's okay not to forgive someone. And then he got excited because he figured if there was a time, this was it. And so he asked, he said, okay, Lord, when is it okay not to forgive someone? And the Lord spoke to him very clearly and said, it's okay not to forgive someone, when they have sinned against you more than you have sinned against me. And James says, it was like a sledgehammer hitting him in the chest and he said, oh God, nobody's ever sinned against me as much as I've sinned against you. And the Lord said, then forgive him. And he unloaded his gun and he went home. Now, he makes the point that forgiveness does not mean the elimination of consequences. That man actually went to jail because he had embezzled funds. He lost his ministry. There are consequences, but James was able to forgive and let it go. Imagine what would have happened had he chose not to forgive. Had he chose to kill him, who knows what would have happened to him. But had he chose just to hold it in his heart, I'm not sure an organization and a movement called Promise Keepers could have ever been birthed, certainly not through him. So one of the things that we want to do here at the end is we want to commission you. And I want to commission you, and I think a few of us need to pray over uh, them as we close here, Um, but I want to commission you as agents of forgiveness and mercy. And in order for you to be an agent of forgiveness and mercy, you have to take it seriously, and you have to walk in it. And um, so why don't you stand? Let's stand. And I'm going to start with some forgiveness stuff. And then I, I, what I want to do is I want to tag team this with Jim and Kelvin. And uh, we're going to pray some stuff over you. Sound good? Just to, just to pray some stuff over you and, and uh, what the Lord gives us. And so right now, in Jesus' name, we announce that we have received forgiveness. We are a forgiven people. And so I bless you with the fresh forgiveness of God on your life. There is therefore now no condemnation over you today. Jesus has borne the shame, the penalty, the reproach. He has taken it all. He didn't leave you with part of it. He didn't leave you with any any bit of the responsibility for your sin. He took it all. Jesus paid it all. And so we announce forgiveness. And Lord, as we have been forgiven, so we're also to forgive others. (laughs) So right now, I I know you don't have time to kind of walk through the chart I just took you through, but would you just whisper, Lord, I, I commit to forgive Mary, Frank, Debbie, my dad. Would you just make a commitment in your heart? I commit to forgive that person in my church. I commit to forgive. Let's take a few moments and do that because you need to listen. Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind anyone right now that maybe we avoid or treat with indifference? Would you bring to mind that person that whenever their name comes up, we feel the need to let people know about them? Mm. Lord, thank you that forgiveness isn't just a liturgy of words, that we do get to grieve the loss, that we do get to grieve what was done to us, that you're okay with the tears about the hurt, that we don't have to quickly rush to forgiveness, that you give us time to process. Lord, we we commit not to using the process of grieving as an excuse not to forgive. We will get to forgiveness, Lord. We commit to that. And then, Lord, we also commit to be people of blessing. We will not curse, we will bless. We will even bless those who curse us. Some of you right now, in your heart, you're saying, but what about that person that continues and continues to curse me? Jesus knows what that's like, but he continues to bless. He continues to bless. It doesn't mean you have to stay in the abusive place. You can run. You can escape the way Joseph escaped. You can run. But you still need to forgive. You need to bless so that they don't own you. Would you just hold your hands out? I want to I pray something else over you. Father, I ask now for an anointing of healing to come upon the hands of these people. Lord, your word says that spiritual gifts are imparted through the laying on of hands. And while I can't touch each one of them right now, I extend my hand and freely I have received, freely I give. Jesus, you are the healer. And I ask now that the healing ministry of Jesus would be expanded through every person here. The oil of the Spirit is now in your hands. The oil of the Spirit, even like uh, we had one brother that got healed yesterday and he jumped on a plane for Haiti and he prayed for the woman next to him for back pain. The oil of healing is in your hands. Don't miss an opportunity to pray for the sick. Don't miss an opportunity to pray for those who are depressed in an emotional sickness and announce healing and forgiveness and freedom so right now anointing for healing begin to flow some of you feeling heat in your hand like i described that's the, the lord's letting you know he wants you to pray he wants you to minister to the sick so let the let that anointing for healing come we commission you as healing evangelists healing evangelists I just had a picture of you in uh, grocery stores praying for healing for people you don't even know. Hey, can I pray for that broken leg? Hey, can I pray for you? Uh, I believe in a God who heals. Say said, wash over them. And now, I also commission you as prophetic warriors. I, I pray for a release of the prophetic, that you would hear the voice of the Lord Father, show me who you prepared to receive the things of your kingdom and that you would hear the voice of the Lord giving you instructions and calling you to be supernatural people. Let it come now. So open their ears. Open the ears of their heart. May they hear like never before, Lord, prophetic wisdom. Prophetic wisdom. Kelvin, I'm going to ask you to come and pray some stuff over them about spirit-led worship.
0: In Jesus' name, we release a psalmist anointing. New songs would rise from within you. Some of those songs will be specific to the bodies that you serve. Some of you will have a psalmist anointing, and the songs that you write will be for the church universal. But we release that anointing in Jesus' name. That in the middle of the night, the Lord would wake you up with words and with melodies. And you will begin to write, and the melodies that he released will also bring with them healing and blessing to others. Some of you who are instrumentalists we release a psalmist anointing on the instruments that you play. So that when you play those what seem like little filler solo spots, they will bring healing and the presence of the Lord would fall. We release upon you a spirit of worship in your times along with the Lord. May from within you rise a song to the Lord that would bless him, that would minister to him. And what you receive in the secret place, you will bring to the corporate place. And the spirit of the Lord would begin to rise in the places that you are. We release you to hear from the Lord in the context of worship. So that which he orders when his people gathers, that's what will come. Bless you. Bless you with the spirit of clarity so that you would hear what is going on in the heavenlies. May the Lord reveal to you what he has already decreed in the spirit. And may he release it so that you bring it into the natural. In Jesus' name.
2: take a moment to commission you. You've had uh, over 24 hours to, uh, to receive. Uh, we don't do this just so that you can write down some notes and post some things on Facebook and then go home. We do this for transformation, not for information. So I want to commission you with this. You all know because you have all seen that the trajectory in our culture in in this country is to be the first person offended by anything, to embrace easy offense. And if the church is going to be prophetic in the United States, it's going to have to be through forgiveness, not by finding the things that we like to be offended by. What is going to make us prophetic is not our own spirit of offense but how easily we forgive. If you're going to be easily offended, you are going to have to easily forgive. So I want to pray, it's it's almost it's like a it's almost like a spiritual warfare type feel to it, but a prophetic forgiveness. We we are the ones. There's no other entity on earth that can pronounce forgiveness on behalf of God or the church. The government can't do it. The school district can't do it. The military can't do it. I mean, that's our job: is to forgive as the Lord forgives and to pronounce forgiveness. We're priests, so uh, I want to I want to commission you to be ministers of forgiveness. So, Father, we receive that call. That is something that you have. Designed for the church to do—to minister forgiveness, to both forgive those that have hurt us, but then also to minister forgiveness, to minister reconciliation. So, Lord, it, I don't—in my short lifetime, there's never been a season where forgiveness is more needed in this country, and where offense is more easily come come by. So, Lord. Empower us and embolden us to be ministers of forgiveness. Forgiving easily and leading people into forgiveness. And if you don't already, if you wouldn't mind putting your hands out, I just want to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Please don't say, well, I got that yesterday. I'm good. It's a new day. What you got yesterday was real, but now it's saturday so continually be being filled with the holy spirit so lord we receive the filling of the holy spirit for this assignment it is outside of our of our flesh and our natural ability to minister forgiveness but we receive the filling of the holy spirit to empower us for this assignment lord and whether we knew it or not, we signed up for this when we signed up to follow you. And that there is no escaping this calling. It's too clear in scripture. Lord, I pray that as we as we receive your spirit and move into this, would you release gifts like words of knowledge to give us just... Stuff we shouldn't even know in the natural. So that we could just zero in on the areas where forgiveness is needed. Would you give us words of wisdom to coach people along through this path of forgiveness, Lord. I pray for uh, healing, physical healing, Lord, that backs would be healed. That those who have bad backs because they have carried the burden, as as Colossians 3.13 says that unforgiveness is a burden. Would we see backs healed? as we minister forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would send some of us out to be anointed teachers on this topic, that we would teach well, that there would be pastors who can shepherd people through this process of forgiveness and not (laughs) shepherd them toward bitterness. I pray for, as Kelvin prayed, songs to be written that advance the spirit of forgiveness that they would come out of this group, that this group would produce music, sermons, stories about forgiveness, healings, that we would season the culture, the salt, provide the salt to this culture that would, even if it's a small stream, that it would be a powerful stream of forgiveness. If you're willing to receive that, that assignment, would you just respond by saying, Yes, Lord? So Lord, we corporately receive that. And I pray don't don't let us forget it too quickly. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
1: have a seat for one last minute i I, I want to tell you one more story because um, I, I said something in passing yesterday and um, and I think Rob uh, tw- you tweeted it um, and it's that we have used the gifts inside the church to entertain us instead of using it to ad- the gifts to advance the kingdom and um, and that's one of the prophetic words, I believe, that is coming to the church, it's time for us to get outside the walls of the church. It, it's time for, in fact, our culture is ending churchianity. And hopefully Christianity will be able to begin in a new, fresh way. But that means we're going to have to become much more missional, much more incarnational, and less attractional. And because um, and our, our programs aren't really changing lives, but the incarnation, the power of the gospel is what changes lives. So... Here's the story. I was at a Costco on a Saturday afternoon. I was pastoring out in Reading, and uh, I was grocery shopping. And uh, as I was standing in line to pay for my groceries, because I'm a good husband. Husbands, you should go grocery shopping for your wives. That way you buy the stuff you like to eat. And uh, (laughs) and that's how I got the way I got. Anyhow, and uh, so I'm standing in line, and this couple behind me taps me on the shoulder and they say, um, excuse me, but are you Ron Walborn? And I went, yeah, I'm Ron. And they said, are you the pastor of that church north of town called Rhythm King Community Church? And the name of our church was Risen King, but they called it Rhythm King. And I went, yeah, that's me. Pro- proving that we didn't have rhythm. And, uh, and uh, they said, well, look, we don't go to church. We're not Christians, but um, we're desperate. And they both started to weep. And the husband was talking and he said, my wife has just been diagnosed with breast cancer and, and we've been looking for a church that believes in healing, that prays for healing. And so we, uh, somebody pointed you out to us today and they told us that if we would go to your church tomorrow morning that you would pray for us to be healed. Is that true? I said, yeah, that's true, but you don't have to come to church on Sunday morning to get prayer. They said, we don't? I said, no, we can pray right now. You can sleep in tomorrow morning. You don't have to go to church. We can pray right now. I have to go. They make me go. You know, I, I have to, they pay me to go. And this, literally, I said this to them. And you're thinking, what a terrible pastor you were. No wonder you're a dean. Um, but listen, I didn't want them to think that if they did the religious thing that God would love them. I wanted them to know that God loved them right there in Costco. So we finished paying for our groceries. We're standing at the end of the conveyor line. And I said to this unchurched couple, I said, listen... I'm going to lay my hands on your wife's shoulder and and you lay your hand on the other shoulder and we're going to ask the spirit of Jesus to come upon her. Now, remember I said in the Holy Spirit teaching that the spirit of God is working in non-Christians. He's already in the world. As soon as I laid hands on her and said, come Holy Spirit, the presence of God came on this non-Christian woman. Um, Her eyelids started to flutter she started to tremble. There were tears streaming down her face. Next thing I know, she falls over under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we awkwardly catch her and lay her to the ground. And as we're laying her to the ground, her husband yells, hallelujah. <laughs> and I look at him and I said, I didn't think you went to church. He said, I don't. I watch TV. <laughs> so now we're down on the ground in Costco. She's out. So we're kneeling there praying all of a sudden. I look up. I see the manager of Costco. His name was Danny Martinez He went to our church. He's putting orange cones around us (laughs) And he's directing traffic he's going it's okay. It's all right. This is my pastor. It's God. All right. She's fine We're just praying. It's all right (laughs) And and now people start joining us We got a prayer meeting breaking out in Costco. Listen, this was in California. I'm not sure you should try this in Philly Yeah, try it in Philly. What's the worst that can happen? You can be martyred. What's the big deal? Okay. And uh, so listen, they came to church the next day. Uh, They actually jumped into our Alpha program and got really ignited for Jesus. Her cancer went into remission. I don't remember all the details, but uh, she didn't even have to have the surgery. They thought she was going to have to have. Um, But here's the best part of that story. Six months in... They came to me and said, Pastor, Jesus has done so much for us. We want to give the rest of our lives to him. So we've sold our business. We've sold our house. And we're moving to Baja to work with YWAM among the orphans. That was 20 years ago. I was just back in Reading last year. Found out that couple is still working with YWAM among the orphans in Baja, California. You know why? Because God doesn't just want a healthy body. He wants your life and if we will take the meat to the street folks if we will take the gifts as more than toys to entertain the church and make them tools to build the kingdom if you will get outside the walls of the church and do Jesus stuff he will show up and it'll revive your church too but begin to move out and be not aggressive in a negative way but aggressive with love aggressive with mercy And minister to people. So Jesus, make them dangerous. Make them dangerous for your kingdom. And Lord, while the terrorists are moving in violence, we declare we will move in love and forgiveness and healing and mercy and grace. (laughs) And when they strike us, we will turn the other cheek and say, hit us again, hit us again, and we'll forgive you. (laughs) That image comes to mind that when David Wilkerson was preaching the gospel to Nicky Cruz, Nicky Cruz says, I'm going to cut you up into a thousand pieces. And Wilkerson's response was, and if you do, every piece will say, I love you. (laughs) Ah, Lord, make us those kind of evangelists, those kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: God bless you guys. Can you, guys, uh, can you guys give Ron and Kelvin a round of applause?